I've never forgotten what he said. I was in my uh, 20s. I was part of a group, all of us who were training for the uh, ordained ministry. And the conference speaker said something like this. People will keep telling you, you young men, that your greatest danger in ministry is going to be pride. It is a danger, but that isn't your greatest danger. No, your greatest danger for you will be discouragement. And it was a shrewd observation. When I was at school as a Christian, I was part of the the moral mainstream. Uh, The traditional Christian approach to, let's say, marriage and sexuality was widely affirmed, if often it wasn't uh, practiced. But now those of us who hold such views are considered by society at large to be old-fashioned and quaint at best and to be dangerous, immoral and hateful at worst. What is more, those views aren't just found outside the church, (laughs) they're found inside it. Uh, When I left Maidenhead earlier this year, I met up with the Bishop of Oxford to say goodbye. I had served in that diocese for over 30 years. I'd had uh, quite a lot uh, to do um, uh, with uh, the bishop. And on a personal level, I liked him. Anyway, during our conservation, he, he let slip in an unguarded moment that he considered me a, a radical for the way I sought to uphold the teaching of the Bible. And I said to him, me? Bishop, I'm the radical? You, Bishop Stephen, are the one who's overturning 2,000 years of Christian teaching. But that isn't the only discouragement. The greater discouragements, actually, have come from people's resistance to the gospel and then seeing people fall away. So I think of my friend John. I've changed his name. Uh, As an undergraduate at uni, he he came to faith in uh, Jesus. I I can remember him, him praying a prayer of commitment at my kitchen table. He was zealous for the Lord. After graduating, he joined a Christian organization that works among students. After that, he did a year-long Bible course here in London, and he then decided to go into teaching. And wonderfully, for me, a few years later, he ended up teaching in a school in the town where I was vicar. And he got stuck into the church He started a CU at the school, but he had an emotional wobble after a relationship difficulty. And he decided to have a break from teaching and to do some traveling. I can remember advising him against it. I was worried. It seemed his reasons were self-centered and indulgent. But he went ahead. And to cut a long story, that seemed to be the beginning of a path so that now he's tragically nowhere with the Lord. And if only that was an isolated case. But it isn't. I can think of Sarah and Janet and Mike. Again, I've changed names. And numerous others, all who seem to be going strong in the Lord, exercising Christian leadership, but who are now living and behaving as agnostics or atheists. It's hugely discouraging to see people resist the good news of Jesus. 
It's even more discouraging to see those who at one time appeared to be Christians and full of Christian joy fall away from Christ. And it can unsettle. Is God able to keep his people? Is God able to keep me? Can the Christian message really be true if those who've uh, embraced it and then turn their back on it? Well, Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 34, addresses actually these discouragements head on. And friends, we're going to be spending the next four weeks leading up to Christmas looking at them. And let me tell you from the outset that it is these verses that have actually kept me encouraged and held me and motivated me and kept me going as a minister of the gospel in the face of numerous discouragements. And I trust they will do the same for you. Actually, they will encourage you. They'll warm your heart and inspire you to keep hold of Jesus and to never, never let your grip of the gospel go. Whatever apparent disappointments and discouragements may come your way. Let's remember where we are. Jesus, God's son, God's king, has burst on the scene in Israel. He's preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand. He's calling on people to repent and believe the good news. He's come with authority and power to do good and to save life. But he's actually been rejected. He's been rejected by the the religious and the political elites. Chapter 3, verse 6. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. These guys who normally hated each other plot together to get rid of Jesus. And so what does God's Messiah, God's King, what does he do? Does he fight back? Does he throw up his hands in despair? No, he withdraws. He leaves those who rejected him and he, he reorganizes the people of God. True Israel, spiritual Israel, will now no longer be defined by the sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel. No, the true people of God will be defined by Jesus, by himself, and the 12 apostles whom Jesus will send out in his name to preach and to cast out demons. And this is where actually we pick up the story at the beginning of chapter 4. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake, the crowd that gathered round him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. You see, the, the political and religious leaders uh, of Israel may have uh, rejected Jesus, but there are still plenty in Israel who flock to Jesus and want to hear him. He taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow seed. And then Jesus goes on to tell this story about a farmer scattering seed. And as he scatters, the seed falls on four different types of ground. Some of it falls on the path where it gets eaten by birds. Some of it falls on rocky ground where it sprouts and then soon withers. Some falls amongst thorns, 
where it gets choked and produces nothing. And some falls on good soil, where it produces a monster crop. We're told 30, 60, 30-fold, 60, 60 times, 100 times. This last week, I decided to con- I contacted the uh, Agriculture and Horticulture Development Board. Um, I wanted to find out what a bumper harvest in Britain looks like today, with its you know years of, uh, of, of you know genetic engineering, not not the sort of um, chemicals I, but you know just over years getting the, the best sort of wheat and grain, with its rich soil and fertilizers and modern farming methods. And I spoke to a delightful woman called Isabel. She did some research for me. She sent me a whole lot of graphs. I couldn't read them. I said, Isabel, I can't read those graphs. I don't understand them. Please, I just want to know, compared to how much, much zone, weight zone, how much uh, would be a, a bumper harvest in terms of uh, a weight which is a got back of grain? And uh, she, she went and told me, and she came back. He said, a 60-fold. A 60-fold harvest in Britain today would be an extraordinary harvest. It would be a bumper harvest. In first century Palestine, grain yields would have been a fraction of that. So when Jesus says that the seed that fell on the good soil produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times, he's describing something that is it's extraordinary. It's supernatural. And Jesus finishes his talk with, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Jesus simply tells the crowd that has gathered around him a story, an illustration. And this wasn't a one-off. Just uh, turn over the page, will you, to Mark uh, chapter 4, verse uh, 33. This is kind of the, the end of the section. And we read this. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. So you see there that Jesus seems to have two audiences in mind. There are the crowds at large to whom Jesus spoke in parables. And then there, is, there are his disciples to whom he explained everything. And that same point is made in verses 10 to 12 of chapter 4. So turn back a page to Mark chapter 4. It's the last bit of the reading that we had, which must be some of the most confusing and unpalatable verses in Mark's gospel. When he was alone... The twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Jesus says in verse 12 that the reason he spoke in parables is specifically so that people would not understand. 
In fact, it's so unpalatable and confusing that many preachers and teachers just won't accept what Jesus explicitly says. No, they say Jesus taught in parables to make connections with uh, everyday life so people might understand his uh, teaching better. Uh, That is the sanitized, simplistic Sunday school version, which is claptrap because it's not what Jesus says, is it? Uh, The the footnote in the church Bibles tells us that Jesus, actually in verse 12, you have a look at it, is actually quoting from the Old Testament. He's quoting from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 6. And that's where Isaiah has a vision of God while in the temple. And in his vision, Isaiah is commissioned by God to preach to unbelieving Jerusalem and Judah. He's told by God that his preaching ministry which actually confirm the residents of Jerusalem in their unbelief until the judgment falls and they're carried off into exile. And Jesus sees his ministry to Israel following the same pattern. So why did Jesus teach in parables to the crowd? Here's our first point. Jesus taught in parables to sift Israel. Notice that Jesus is not silent. He's speaking God's word to Israel. That The reason he gets into the boat and teaches from it is to enable as many people as possible to hear him. And notice also at the beginning of the parable and at the end of the parable, Jesus calls on his hearers to listen to him, to pay attention. It's not the case that Jesus is deliberately trying to hide the truth. Far from it. Mark chapter 4 verse 33 tells us that Jesus spoke the words to them in parables as much as they could understand. These stories weren't complicated stories. Now turn over the page uh, again and have a quick quick look at uh, Mark 4, 21 to 23. We're going to be looking at these verses in more detail a couple of weeks' time. So here's Jesus again. He's speaking to his disciples. He said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or bed? What's the answer to that? No, of course not. Instead, don't you put it on its stand? Answer that. Yes, that's what you do. You put it on the stand. For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. It's the same words that Jesus said after he spoke that parable of the sower. Jesus is not hiding the truth. There is nothing to stop people from discovering all that God wants to give people in Christ. All you need is ears to hear. But Jesus knows that as he preaches and teaches in parables, the nation of Israel is being sifted to reveal those who are truly part of God's kingdom from those who aren't. Just as you might have that image of the, 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 the gold prospector, the Wild West, you know, uh, with his sieve sifting the ground, the soil to separate kind of the, the gold from just the, the useless kind of silt. 
and waste. So Jesus is sifting Israel to reveal those who are part of the true spiritual Israel from those who aren't. And in this way, Jesus' parables operate in the same manner as those kind of automatic doors that you get uh, at uh, super department, supermarkets and department stores. If you know, uh, those doors actually are designed with um, two different purposes in mind. They're, they're designed to stay closed to keep the kind of cold air out. And they're designed to open to let people in. And they have different effects on different people. For those people who kind of keep their distance and walk past, well, the doors remain closed. But for those who walk confidently towards the door, well, those doors fly open. And in a similar way, with the gospel, for those on the outside, the word of the gospel remains closed. There were many in those crowds who came to Jesus with wrong motives. They came to see what all the fuss was about, or to see dramatic miracles, or to hear a compelling speaker. And they had no spiritual hunger. And to people like that who are on the outside and have no real interest in knowing Jesus or doing business with him, well, then everything remains a mystery. But, says Jesus to his disciples, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. So to those called to belong to Christ and who humbly approach Christ to learn from him, the doors of God's word and God's kingdom slide open. And that's so often in the Bible. Actually, Mark chapter 4, verses 10 to 12, these tricky verses, are setting before us two ways to live. And it is Christ himself and his word which creates the divide. So first point, Jesus taught in parables to sift Israel. Second, come humbly to King Jesus and you will find yourself in his kingdom. There may be some of us here this evening for whom this Christianity is all new. You've only recently started to come to church to hear Christian teaching. Well, if that is you, You're most welcome. Well done. And let me assure you that if you come to Jesus and you humble yourselves before him and you ask him to give you understanding and you keep on doing that, you will find the doors opening for you. You'll be part of the people of God. You'll experience Christ's love and forgiveness. You'll be indwelt by Christ's spirit and you will know the creator of this universe as your heavenly father. Look at verse uh, 10 again. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Notice to whom the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given. It is those who have gathered around Jesus. And simply ask him for understanding. That's all you have to do. Come to Jesus and ask him for understanding. And he gives it. 
That's the only requirement. You want him to instruct you, to lead you, to change you. It's lovely. I mean, look at the Risdale comment. We don't know. They were a pretty rum bunch, those 12. We already know that. The others around him. I mean, they were just those who were hungry to know more. Doesn't matter who we are, what our background is, or what our previous track record has been. All we have to do is sit at Jesus' feet and learn from him. Friends, that's what we saw last week, wasn't it? At the end of chapter 3, Jesus' family come looking uh, for Jesus because they think he's out of his mind. They want to take charge of Jesus. But it's those, (laughs) it's those who want Jesus to take charge of them. It's those who are sitting around Jesus to whom Jesus says, here are my mother and brother and sister. So come to Christ, stick close to him, ask him for understanding, and you will find the doors to his kingdom fly open for you. You will find yourself inside the kingdom of God. You'll be part of his family. But practically, how do we do that? How do we gather around Jesus? Because at the moment, actually, he is seated at the right hand, enthroned of God in heaven. How can we come to him and gather around him and listen to him today? Well, friends, we do it by faith. We're doing it now as we come to church and sing his praises and listen to his word, the Bible being taught and explained and applied. We do it when we gather with other Christian friends, brothers and sisters to talk about Jesus and to study the scriptures together. We do it when we focus on Christ on our own. When we we come to him, asking him to give us understanding, to work in our life, to change us, to mold us, to direct us, to lead us. When we feed on the Bible, this book, which is all about him. Whenever we direct our mind, our heart, on the Jesus we meet in the scriptures, we're coming to him. Are you doing that? It's great that you're here tonight. Keep coming to Jesus. But there is a warning. And we do need to heed that warning. You see, not everybody who had some interest in Jesus and went to hear him preach was a part of the kingdom of God. There were those, says Jesus, who are on the outside. And the parable of the sower, which we'll be looking at in more detail next week, makes it very clear how that can happen. And so we come to the final point for us to take away. You see, be casual about Jesus. And you may find yourself outside God's kingdom. See, just as in the department store, if you don't head towards the doors deliberately, the doors remain closed. If we are casual and half-hearted about Jesus, well, we could end up missing out on the new life he came to give. Not everybody who comes to church or who has had a Christian upbringing or who claims to be a follower of Jesus is a true follower of Jesus. 
So, for instance, someone comes to church with a sort of superior attitude of, okay, Jesus, prove yourself. And if you do, I might believe in you. It's unlikely, but I might. While a person continues with that sort of hard-hearted attitude to Jesus, they will never understand the truth. The gospel will remain hidden from them. They may hear the, the message, but they will never understand it, and they will remain outside of God's kingdom. Outside of God's love and forgiveness. Likewise, any who've had a Christian upbringing and are familiar with Christian truth, they may even have once professed a living faith in Jesus. They may still attend church from time to time. If they hear the word of the gospel but don't act on it, if they treat Jesus as an optional extra, rather than as their Lord and Master and King, then they are in danger of finding themselves outside of God's kingdom. As Jesus once said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It is not enough to be those who hear the words of Jesus. We need to accept them and act on them. Just remember who Jesus is speaking. There were plenty in the crowds. And he talks about those who were there listening to him. But they were still on the outside. Because they hadn't pursued him, Jesus. Just turn over the, the page again to uh, verse 24. Mark 4, verse 24. Jesus speaking, disciples, consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Isn't that encouragement? Is it? It'll be even more. You'll grow in understanding. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. It's not enough to have once believed in Jesus and responded to the gospel. We need to keep doing it. We need to keep hearing God's word and acting on it. Otherwise, even what we once knew and believed might be taken away from us. So friends, never be surprised when the gospel is preached that many people remain disinterested or even become hostile. Don't be surprised that some who at one time appeared to believers fall away. Do you see what Jesus is doing here in Mark chapter 4? Jesus is teaching the crowds about the nature of his kingdom. And at the same time, he's preparing his disciples. He's preparing us, actually, for what we can expect as he sends them out to preach. Of course it's discouraging when people are hostile or apathetic to the wonderful good news about Jesus. Of course, it's hugely discouraging when folk like my friend John fall away. But friends, we must never, ever think that that means that the gospel has failed. Or that the, the, the person or the people who are proclaiming the, the gospel are necessarily going about it the wrong way. Because what Jesus is showing here is that the preaching of the gospel 
will always divide people. For those whom God is calling to himself, the preaching of the gospel will enlighten and give understanding of the truth that is in Jesus. They will humble themselves and come to Christ and follow him. But for others, actually, the preaching of the gospel just confirms them in their hard-hearted unbelief. And actually, that has always been God's intention. Jesus preached in parables so that it would become clear who in Israel was a part of God's kingdom and actually who wasn't. The sifting was already beginning. And so actually the same happens now. As the gospel is preached, it will both reveal and confirm those who are on the outside of the kingdom because they continue to reject it, but wonderfully will also reveal those who are on the inside. And how can you tell those who are on the the inside? (laughs) They come to Jesus. They want to listen to him. And when they don't understand, they ask him. And he gives them understanding. He reveals more and more of himself. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we praise you and thank you for just the the, the realism and for the understanding that you uh, give us of what is going on as the gospel is preached. We praise you and thank you that those who come to you, that those who listen, accept, and act on what you say will be a part of your kingdom. And so we ask that you will give us such a desire for you and your word that we will keep seeking you and that you will take us deeper and deeper into yourself. And Lord, uh, may these truths that we see in Mark chapter 4, please write them so deeply on our heart and mind in the coming weeks that we will be those who remain firm to you and will not get uh, actually discouraged. Yes, we'll be disappointed when we see hostility to you, but we will not be discouraged because you have warned us ahead of time that this is normal that this is what we should expect. And we praise you and thank you for doing that for us. Amen.